This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey of Mississippi Today. 2013, the State Board of Education hired Dr. Carrie Wright to be Mississippi's newest state superintendent of education. And now, after the longest tenure in modern Mississippi history, Dr. Wright will be joining us here in just a second to talk about uh, some accomplishments she's proud of and her future plans as well. So without any further ado, well, Dr. Wright, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. So um, are you now, because I missed your ceremony the other day, and I apologize. They did actually give you a couple of my cartoons, and I was I was thrilled to be able to print those out and get those signed for you. Um, so are you, like, sitting in the pool right now with a drink and, and just kind of <laughs> kick back, or uh, you still got a little bit more work to do? Uh, don't I wish. No, uh, we, still got, we still got more work to do. I'm here till June 30th. Oh, till June 30th. Okay. So... When you know that you your last day is on June 30th, are you just, like, hard to deal with and saying anything you want to say? Because I always did that, too. Every time I quit a job, I just became a pain in the neck for the last two weeks. <laughs> no, uh, I'm pretty steady. Uh, it, it, pretty steady as it goes. I just think we've, we've still got a lot of work to do, and we're, we're pushing on. So um, I, I hope that nobody would be thinking that, yeah. Okay, well, that's good. Well, you, you have good people you work around, too, so there's no sense of making their life miserable at the very end, right? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. They work too hard for that. Yeah, Jay and I were talking about that a little bit uh, right before you came on, just talking about how incredibly important education is in the state of Mississippi. And it's it's a very difficult issue to tackle because there's so many different angles. And, of course, you've been tackling it from the top. Um, you know, what, folks, I, it's, it's hard for me to believe that you are the longest tenured uh, sec, uh, state superintendent of education since the board was created in 1982. That's incredible. I mean, that you, you've lasted and been there that long. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, it's really funny. I, you know, Marshall, I haven't really stopped to think about that, to be honest. I think that each day has just been approached as, you know, what, what, what goals are we trying to get accomplished? You know, what's been the plan to try and get this accomplished? And are we in support doing everything we can to support our districts and our teachers and our leaders? So I don't really stop to think about the length of time. It really kind of hit me, I think, this past week. And thank you so much for those prints. That was such a sweet thing for you to do. Uh, they were on full display uh, in the Capitol during my, uh, during my reception. But I think it kind of hit me Thursday just, you know, um, just listening to you know the kind words that everybody had to say, and you know, kind of reminiscing about what's been accomplished, and very proud of what you know the department has has done, and very proud of what the state has accomplished over these past eight and a half years. Yeah, it's hard to believe. In 2013, I just think about how different the world was, and of course, you know, you're talking about. Well, I don't think about the time. I mean, you really haven't had time, particularly the last couple of years. I mean, literally coming, and, and we'll talk about COVID a little bit yeah. later on in the show. But I mean that. I mean, I can't even remember where I was like two weeks ago because of what has gone on the last two years. So I'm not quite sure how you did it. So but let's flash back to 2013. Um, and I remember literally sitting in editorial board meetings before then. And it was and like a joke before. It's like the defense of the dark arts teacher in Harry Potter or a drummer for Spinal Tap. There seemed like there was a new uh, superintendent every single year. And, and then you come in, you, you beat out 11 candidates from several states and um, tell us a little bit about that time. What was it like when you first walked into the office? Well, um, you know, I, I had done a lot of studying, needless to say, for that interview. Um, and I, I, I was walking in with eyes wide open, um, you know, having come from D.C. And, um, 
you know, I knew we were at the bottom. I knew we were 50th, and uh, it was really fun. And started meeting people and talking to staff and talking to legislators and other elected leadership, and you know, and really, you know, saying, look, you know, I didn't move. You know, I didn't leave my family. I didn't move from Maryland here to stay at the bottom. So we're not staying at the bottom, and we're going to do everything we can to get off the bottom. So that's really where we started. We didn't have a strategic plan at the time, so we put that together. We didn't really have goals that went along with that, so we put that together. The board was really strong in that uh, respect, hired a great leadership team, um, worked on that for the, probably about the first year to 18 months. Still, even as people rolled off, hired great people you know, uh, in their place. And because uh, you can't do this job by yourself. And then as a department, we reorganized the department. You know, the two laws that were passed, the Literacy-Based Promotion Act was passed and the Early Learning Collaborative Act was passed. And so we knew we had to get organized um, around that and, and all that that entailed. And thank goodness the legislature didn't prescribe the implementation, and I think that was very smart on their part. They said this is what we want to achieve and then turned it over to the department. So they gave us a lot of flexibility about how we were going to implement it, and that's really when we um, really jumped into the science of reading and um, provided professional development to all of our teachers, K-3, both general ed and special ed, and our, and our administrators on how do you teach reading, because reading is a science. And so we did a lot of professional development, developed a lot of resources, deployed our literacy coaches, trained our literacy coaches on a monthly basis, continued to do that, actually, and just, you know, stuck to it and used data then to guide um, the direction of our professional development and what else we needed to be doing. And, you know, i got to say, Marshall, it, 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 we started with obviously with literacy, but there was also so much that needed to be done at our high schools as well. And so it was really um, a two-pronged approach uh, before we kind of pincered, you know, into the middle school, which we did uh, last. Um, but we knew we needed to jettison all the classes that were below grade level, we knew we needed to redo our diploma options because they were not rigorous enough. We adopted brand new standards that were the most rigorous that we had. Uh, we put in an advanced placement initiative so that children would have more um, access to advanced placement. Uh, we initiated all of our early college high schools. We, uh, we started with dual, uh, dual credit, dual enrollment. Um, we then later we've added endorsements um, to our diplomas. Uh, and so we've really, you know, all along the way, it's been a what next? What do we do next? And where are we, where are we missing opportunities for children um, in their learning? And the same was true with CTE. We launched a big ta task force, met with businesses across the state, continue to do that so that our career academies and our CTE programs are meeting the needs of our businesses around the state. And then once we really nailed down elementary i think with that we added our math coaches our early childhood coaches you know all of that and we did what we did at our high schools we then put together a middle school initiative and brought together um, folks to work on uh, what do we do then to improve um, our middle school so it's been a it's been very sequential but it's also been very um very strategic and very thoughtful in that we want to make sure that we're meeting the needs of all kids pre-k through grade 12. You know, let's talk about reading for a half second, because I remember, you know, the reading gate, third grade, that makes a lot of sense. You know, if a child cannot read proficiently by third grade, they can't read the instructions on the test. They can't read the textbooks. They can't do that. And that's why it's so important to make sure that by the time they are in third grade, that they are well, obviously able to read and able to comprehend what they're reading and so forth. And it just kind of fascinated a little bit you talking about the high schools, because that was very smart to not only get the kids reading up until third 
grade, but also to catch the ones that were in high school that were probably not able to read well, that were going to end up having troubles out in the workforce and so forth in life, too. Because obviously, and I can tell you from personal experience, that my career has changed 19 times in the last two weeks. Uh-huh. And, you know, and these kids are going to have to be able to be resilient and be able yeah. to do the reading. So that's why all this is so incredibly important, isn't it? It really is. And I've also got to tell you that I've had, you know, I've got a very large teacher advisory council, and that's something I haven't really talked about, but I've got a superintendent's advisory council, a principal's advisory council, a teacher's advisory council, and a student advisory council, and was really listening to them and what they were feeling that their needs were. And the teachers then started saying, particularly the secondary teachers, we've heard all about this training that the K-5, now it's up to K-5 teachers are getting. Can we sign up for that training? Because we've got children that we, um, we I'm a math teacher or I'm a science teacher, and I, I didn't have that training. So we now have even opened up our training to our secondary teachers so that they want to come in and learn more about um, the science of reading so that they can better diagnose and better help children um, at that level. I think that's um, that's been a really big part of it is making sure that we've built the capacity of our teachers along the way um, because I, if I've said before, I think every teacher wants to do the very best that they can when they come into work each day. Some just come in more prepared um, than others. And so what we can do as a state is lean in then with professional development and build their skills so that they're, they're feeling really competent about that. And the one thing I'm also going to say to you, we at the department really don't talk about the retention part of this. Um, and for third grade, we talk about intervention, prevention, and intervention, because that really is where that's the name of the game, starting back in pre-K. So even though this may be a third grade assessment, this is a third grade assessment that's culminated from pre-K, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, and third grade. So it's a it's a it's an effort for all of those grades to get those children reading by the end of grade three. Um, and our early learning collaboratives with our pre-Ks have just been knocking it out of the park. That's the reason that the legislature has been very generous, especially this past year, in granting us more money because we are now um, disaggregating the data. I changed the kindergarten enrollment form a number of years ago, and I asked parents to identify where their children were at when they were four years old. So that when they took the kindergarten readiness assessment, I could disaggregate that data and know were they in one of our collaboratives, were they in Head Start, were they at home, were they in a daycare, and then I now know how to deploy my coaches to even areas, public or private, that are really struggling to get their children prepared because our children coming out of our collaboratives coming into kindergarten are outperforming all other children coming into kindergarten. So what we're trying to do is bolster the program statewide um, so that all of our kids are coming in uh, well prepared for kindergarten. My wife's been a kindergarten teacher. She now teaches K through two art, but she's been a kindergarten teacher for many years in many different types of environments from urban to country to rural to very well off and so forth. Right now, there's a lot of parents that are probably listening to us talk about education, and they're hearing a lot of terms thrown around. If I'm a parent, and I've got, say, maybe a a two- or three-year-old, and I'm sitting at home right now, and I'm trying to prepare my child to get ready for school, what are some really good things that you can do for your child to get them ready to walk into school and be prepared to learn? Well, we've got um, we've got a, a website, uh, a Strong Leader, Strong Readers website, and that's designed for parents. Um, I think uh, that would be the one place that I tell them to go. Uh, we've also got family success guides that we've designed. Those are on our website for parents as well. But the most important thing I think that you can do, uh, and there's also an app out there for pre-K 
Um, it's called Varoom, and it is a free app that you can put on your phone, and you can type into the app, like where you are, like if you're at the grocery store, and you type in the child's age, and it will give you ideas of how to engage your child even when you're at the grocery store or riding in the car or playing on the playground. Uh, and we've distributed that app um, across the state um, to our parents. But I think the most important thing that I think you could possibly do is read, uh, even if it's 10 to 15 minutes a day, and read what they're interested in. Um, talk to them about what they've read uh, so that they're, they're learning vocabulary, they're hearing vocabulary, because that's the one thing that's really important uh, for children, even if they can't read it. If they can hear the word and then use the word appropriately, by the time they are exposed to those sounds and symbols, uh, it's going to be much quicker than for them to learn to read. So that is the one thing that we are encouraging, um, you know, all of our parents to do is is to take the time to read. And I know it's hard because you're busy, um, but even if it's an older child that you've got at home that could be reading, you know, the ten or fifteen minutes, uh, that that's that's a great way to get a child started. And it doesn't hurt to also just spend the time with them too. That's I mean. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Because I tell you what, there um, there's so many studies that have been done that talk about the number of words that children hear prior to when they start school. And the studies are just stark in that children that are coming from poverty, as most of our state, you know, we've got the highest poverty rate in the nation. The, the children coming from poverty are just not hearing as many words as children whose parents are more affluent. And so it's really, really important that even if you're talking to even babies, you know, you can be reading the newspaper to a baby and keeping them engaged. It doesn't even have to make sense when they're little, little, because they don't necessarily understand everything that you're talking about. But talking to them and keeping them engaged, helping them put the plates on the dinner table or the forks on the dinner table, something you can say, here, take the forks, take the spoons, you know, put it on the right side of the plate versus the left side. So those are kind of direct things that are very, very practical that then children can learn and internalize. It's time for us to take a quick break. And when we return, we're going to continue with our conversation with retiring state superintendent of education, Dr. Carrie Wright. Hey, stay tuned. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey of Mississippi Today. Hey, great show today. Thank you for listening, and I hope you're enjoying it. We have Dr. Carrie Wright, who's joining us. And Dr. Wright, of course, served as Mississippi's superintendent of education. I guess she still is till the end of the month and longer, basically, than anybody since the State Board of Education was formed in 1982. Hard to believe. Anyway, what a great conversation so far about education, and we're going to continue this as well. Dr. Wright, so... Um, I know you've suffered some criticism over the last few years. I know you probably don't pay any attention to it. I know I don't when people criticize me. Um, I know you've had a lot of obnoxious cartoons drawn about you and so forth. 
But I think a lot of times when I see the criticism, I don't think people understand the role of what the state board of education actually does and what the superintendent does. So this is probably a good time for you just to kind of give a little of explainer since you're on the way out the door. Um, what exactly the, the role is of what you've done for the last 13 years? Sure. Um, so the state board really is to set policy um, to guide the work um, of education. And so you'll see a lot of times that, you know, we'll be bringing forward decisions for them, policy decisions for them, because policy really drives behavior. Yeah. Um, same thing I say about accountability. Accountability drives behavior. And so they are very thoughtful then about making sure that the policies that they are setting, you know, are definitely focused on the six goals that they have established for the state. And then it's so if you take a look at their job, is like policy and my job is more the management of it. So they decide the policy and then the department led by me decides the implementation. Like, what is that going to look like um, on the ground? What does implementation look like on the ground? So if that's the reason we use a lot of data, because we've got to look at the data of not only literacy, but our numeracy, uh, enrollment, graduation rate, dropout rate, um, CTE completers, you know, the career technical education, how many kids are completing those programs. Um, and then then when we feel like there's policy that's needed, then we will generate that policy, take it to the board for their consideration, and then they will vote on it, and then we'll come back and we'll come back and implement it. A lot of people think that the state superintendent actually has a lot more authority than, than I do. Um, I get a lot of um, a, a lot of emails from parents saying, fire this superintendent or fire that superintendent or get rid of this board. And, you know, unfortunately, I've got to tell them that that's, that's not that's not within my authority. Um, the superintendents, if they want them hired or fired, that's the local board's decision. Um, and likewise, local boards are elected, so that's the citizenry, citizenry's decision. So um, I think it's surprising to a lot of people. I do know it's interesting, um, in the state of Maryland, however, um, that state superintendent has the ultimate um, yay or nay on anybody that any of the districts hire. So if a county decides they want to hire Mrs. Smith and it gets to the state superintendent, he or she has the ability to say, I agree or I disagree. Um, but that's not the case in Mississippi. So if anybody is out there listening and they're unhappy with something that their board is doing or they're unhappy with something that the superintendent is doing, um, that really needs to be taken um, up at the local level. Likewise, if they're unhappy with the principal, then that needs to be taken up with the superintendent of that district. And that's the main thing. I think that a lot of people don't understand that education is very definitely uh, – that you have a big say in it because it is such a locally controlled um, – well – profession. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that was one thing that really surprised me when I moved here, you know, 25 years ago was that so many superintendents were actually elected. I'd never seen that before. You know, usually it's the board does that. And I think that was a pretty big change here in Mississippi to have that to where the superintendents are picked by the boards. Yeah, I, I agree. In fact, I really kind of was an advocate for that um, once I got here because I, I found that in my experience, and we had some very good elected superintendents, don't misunderstand me, but we also had some elected superintendents that were really only paying attention to getting reelected. And, you know, I think when you've got an appointed superintendent, um, and this is what I said to those that were concerned, these good superintendents that were elected, I said, do you honestly think your board's not going to hire you with the good job that you've been doing um, if you were appointed? But it really gives them the local school board the ability to really look outside their district because right now when you were elected when I got here it was within that district you had to reside within that district well you may or may not have had an excellent candidate but if you open it up to an appointment then you're allowed to pick anybody from around the nation quite frankly um, to lead that district. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, on that, by the way, you mentioned graduation rates a little bit. Congratulations. They jumped from 75.5%, so three out of four kids graduating, up to 88.4, which is, I might add, higher than the national average. I, you know, at the end of the day, that is one of the, the statistics that really just jumps out and makes you smile because that makes a big difference in those children's future. Absolutely, and that's the reason that, you know, I didn't mention this earlier, but we had a thing called an occupational diploma uh, when I first got here, and then come to find out, and it was in statute, I don't know how many years ago, but come to find out, nobody was honoring it as a diploma. Oh, wow. Yeah, so kids were literally going through this program and getting this occupational diploma that nobody, the military, businesses, universities were not accepting as a diploma so we um, eliminated that and got the the legislature to change that law because that very reason Marshall is exactly what you said how could you possibly do this to children for 12 years and then have them have nothing you know once they graduated because these diplomas mean an awful lot whether you go into the military a two-year university a four-year university or right into the world of work um, that diploma has got to mean something well, obviously, you know, I mean, that's like you said, you don't want to get to the end and they hand you the diploma and then pull it back and go psych. You know, that's right. just that, yeah, that's that's, right. that's not a good thing. But also, too, you know, like you said, um, the fact that, you know, the reading is being pushed, the comprehension so that when they do get that diploma, that they can turn around and use it. And that's good for businesses, too, because obviously they've got a trained workforce that actually can. Well, believe it or not, you know, follow instructions and so forth. So it's a win for everybody. What are some of the other things that you're incredibly proud of uh, during your tenure? Well, I think the fact that we've come, uh, we're now ranked 35th in the nation. Uh, Education Week uh, puts out a report annually called Quality Counts. And when I got here, we were 50th and we were given an F. Uh, We're now 35th and we've got a C. Uh, We have been ranked for the past three years. That includes COVID um, as the second most improved state in the nation. And so, um, you know, the thing about it is, and this is the one thing I think that um, the governor was making a, a point of when he spoke last week, you know, Mississippi is recognized nationally as being uh, one of the most outstanding states in the nation. And his comment was, unfortunately, it's not that well recognized within our own state. And that, that can get a little bit discouraging, I think, at times for folks who are working so hard. But we are now up to 21 states that we have either visited or they have visited us to ask us, what is it that you're doing to get these outcomes? And um, that, that, that says a lot about where we are nationally. Um, and I think that I'm very proud of. You know, when I first got here, we weren't doing a lot on the national scale and i come from districts where we had participated a lot nationally and I just saw the difference that it made in even having leadership exposed to what other states are doing uh, and so now they've got their, their, their counterparts around the nation that they can pick up the phone and call and say here's what we're doing, what are you doing, how can we make it better and so it really becomes a collective effort because we really are nationally all in this for the very same reason. You know I think about the, I think about the experiment where they shock the dogs and you remember that and then they made it to where the dogs could actually get out of the cage and they wouldn't because they were so beat down. Yeah. And, you know, I think there got to a point where I think there were a lot of folks that thought F stood for fine. 
you know, like oh, things yeah. are fine. And, yeah. and, you know, changing that mindset of being able to say, no, what? You know, a 50th is not acceptable. This is hurting everybody. That's we got to get up. I mean, you know, 35th is that's a pretty big jump. Um, and obviously, I know everybody's working hard. But then when I bump into teachers out in the field and, and I've been very blessed over the last few years of being able to go into schools, I can always tell when a school has a great principal because, you know, just you walk in and you can tell, you know, and that's always yeah. a big part. But a few weeks ago, we had um, Brittany Morgan or Sky Morgan, as she likes to be called, who was the Mississippi Department of Education's Teacher of the Year this year. Oh, my goodness. She was absolutely the most excited, energetic rock star teacher that I think I've talked to in a long time. And I was just thinking what was so great about it was, oh, she said, oh, anybody else on that stage with me could have won it, you know, because we're so good. We are really blessed that we do have a lot of educators out there that are even coming out of the pandemic are still fired up and still wanting to make us a better state. You better believe it. And I'll tell you what, I've got a teacher's advisory council of about 400. And every time I meet with them, that level of enthusiasm and dedication. I've even had teachers that said, you know, Dr. Wright, I was thinking about retiring, you know, when the pandemic had, and I'm just not going to. And I think they also were saying, you know, during when, when during COVID, I met with them that spring, and they said, oh, my God, you know, we don't know how to set up a Google Classroom, or we don't know how to, you know, schedule, you know, Zoom calls and things like that. So we literally, back at the department, came, I said, look, this is what the teachers are saying. So we put out all this professional development that they could learn on virtually. And so I think that what that I say that to say they're interested in making themselves even better. You know, that's the thing that I love about the Mississippi teachers. They really want to take it to the next level. And you you there's no amount of money. And I'm so thankful that they got the money that they did. But there's no amount of money you could give a teacher that that really that could even be even be talked about as being worth it because they they deserve so much credit uh, they've hung in there they've met students needs they've tried to meet families needs while their own needs are trying to be met um, as well and i think that we are very blessed to have the teaching staff that we do across the state yeah it's uh, whenever you hear the stories of the teachers that are working second jobs or they're buying supplies with their own money and so forth i don't think a lot of people understand that the teaching profession is, is there's there are several professions that are like this but where people literally are not doing it because of the paycheck but you're right i think the pay raise was was a huge huge step forward a little bit let's talk a little bit about like the last couple of years because you know obviously um, and I've talked to teachers that teach younger kids and, and, you know, they've got kids that literally never were in a social setting because of the pandemic. A lot of the kindergartens and preschools were closed. And so they're having to learn how to be social. And, of course, you know, kids have been virtual and it's just been a fascinating thing. Obviously, there is going to be some setbacks on that. What are you seeing in the way of setbacks? And are, are kids resilient enough to be able to pull out of any kind of damage that may have been done from the last um, couple of years? So a couple of things I want to talk about there. Uh, one, I do think um, our little ones struggle the most. I think our, our kindergarten, first and second graders definitely struggle the most because I think when you're learning to read, it's really important that you have little ones in front of you. Um, and wearing a mask, you know, um, and trying to teach them sound symbol uh, is, is not the best way to go about doing that. Um, I think that is one thing that the schools have recognized. I think they've definitely doubled down on that. I don't know, if, Marshall, if you know that our third grade assessment scores, which is the good news for Mississippi, back to the power of our teachers, yeah. on first-time test takers, 
Um, our pass rate for 2022 was almost identical to our pass rate in 2019. Oh, that's and great. Yes. So that, that says a lot about what was going on. The one thing that I did hear loud and clear from not only my teachers, but particularly my student advisory council, and I guess it's about 100 kids across the state, a lot are struggling with mental health issues, mm-hmm. and um, a lot. And uh, that was pronounced with me, with my student advisory council, um, and even with my teachers, the, on my teacher advisory council. So the one thing that we did do, we used our ESSER dollars that came in, and we put out an RFP, and the University of Mississippi Medical Center won that RFP, and now we children will have the ability to have access to telehealth and teletherapy across the state. And Dr. Chandra um, made a comment on our last call. He leads the telehealth center at UMMC, and he said when this is finished, Mississippi will have the most comprehensive and the largest uh, telehealth program in the nation. So now our kids will have access at school or at home, quite frankly, because they'll have a number that they can call if they're struggling uh, or a family is struggling uh, to call and get somebody on the other end for telehealth and teletherapy. So we're real excited um, about that initiative. That's that's fantastic. I know that's going to really help a lot of kids and, and help a lot of families, too, at the same time. All right, we're going to take our final break. And when we return, we'll wrap up our conversation with retiring Mississippi Superintendent of Education, Carrie Wright. Hey, there's still time for you to join in on that conversation. And the number is 877-MPB-RING. That is 877-672-7464. Stay tuned. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey of Mississippi Today. Absolutely gorgeous weather out there today. I hope you're having a good day. Thank you for listening. And we've been talking with Dr. Carrie Wright, Mississippi's longest service uh, serving superintendent of education and she is retiring at the end of the month so she's just here talking with us chatting because she's you know she's seen a lot and done a lot and had a lot of great accomplishments dr wright like you said you got a few more days left um you know you're probably making some plans on what's next so what is next well um i'm getting ready to move back to maryland Um, both of my daughters are there my one daughter is married um has my one and only grandson. See, that's right there. I completely get it. I understand because uh, my wife has already said when my kids start having grandkids that we're going to live there half the year. That's exactly right. And so he turned three at the end of this month and it's just been a delight. And my youngest daughter is getting married in September. So that'll put me back there to um, to help with all that. So just really looking forward to spending um, time with my family. Uh, that's been, I think, the hardest part of being here is being separated from my daughters. We're pretty these and so um you know I'm, I'm i'm definitely looking forward to that and you're gonna miss the summers here i know 
Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I, that's one thing. People, well, I got to tell you though, people have asked me, "What are you going to miss the most?" And, and Marshall, I've got to be honest with you. It's, it is the people. Amen. Yeah. It is the people. It's the people that I work with. It's the people I've come to know. It's the friends. It's. I mean, people in the grocery store. They're just so kind to you. I mean, that's the one thing that I, I'm definitely going to miss. The thing you're most proud of. I am most proud of the fact that we are no longer 50th, and I got to tell you, I take great, great pride in that. Um, I, we are 35th. The governor said to me, what would you do next? I said, there's 34 spots above us. I said, so we got to keep going. And uh, and that is the God's honest truth. We can't let up. Our children are just as capable as anyone else in this nation, in this world, and they're going to have to be competing in a brand new environment, either nationally and or globally. And so we've got to, that's one thing I keep saying, all we need to do is keep thinking, what else do we need to be doing? What else do we need to be providing our teachers and our leaders and our parents across the state so that we can keep this momentum going? Because it's, you get a new little batch in every year, you know, when they come into kindergarten and they deserve the same thing, if not more than the group did before them. And so it's just constantly saying, focused on children and I think to your earlier point I think when I first got here there was such a culture of low expectations uh, that we've been 50th you know for so long and that old phrase that I learned when I got here thank God for Mississippi you know from uh, my counterparts in the south because they knew they would never be last because we were well that's long gone and that's we're at 35 and I'm I'm very very proud of that only because I know the difference that it now makes for children uh, and the lives that they have ahead of them because we are far better readers and far better at math and far better at everything um, than we were and I think that it's 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 all about making children's lives the best that they can be what has been the biggest frustration or disappointment um I think, to be honest with you, it's really the lack of recognition that education gets, the lack of, I think, our Governor Reeves, I think, um, has been very good. Our ed chairs have been very, very good about uh, being very supportive of us. I mean, I think the department has received funds to support our initiatives um, above and beyond, you know, MAEP, and I, I think that I'm very thankful for that. It's, it's The frustrating part is to is to convince people of the importance of education and the power of education. Uh, and that's the reason, you know, I made the statement I did at, at my reception. I said, you know, children are going to be sitting in the chairs you're sitting in. And so they've got to be the best that they can be. And that only comes through a strong and powerful education and making sure our teachers have the support that they need and the skills that they need and our leaders having the support and skills that they need because that's where it's going to happen. Public education. I, I know that obviously, you know, as soon as you walk walk away from the desk and you turn in your keys and your badge and you say goodbye and and so forth and you get that final goodbye present from your staff. What I mean, seriously, what's the process from the time that you walk out the door till they have a hired a new superintendent? Yes. Good question. So right now they have an interim superintendent, Dr. Kim Benton. Uh, Kim was the chief academic officer here before she retired. And when Nathan Oakley left to work with uh, Mississippi, Accelerate Mississippi, um, Kim has been back as the interim uh, chief academic officer, but the board has appointed her as an interim state superintendent. The board now uh, will, they put out an RFP for a search firm 
uh, to come in to do the search for this position. The search firm will then, once that's selected, which I believe is this month, um, then we'll start the process of putting out the announcements around the nation uh, for applications. They will probably go through the, if it's as it normally is, the applications first, and then hand off to the board, um, I'm going to say the top 10, let's just say, the top 10 applicants, and then the board then will be responsible for interviewing and selecting the next state superintendent. I think that their their goal, not I think, I know, I know their goal is to have the next state superintendent start January the 1st, 2023. So it's about a six-month process. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of the things I've always discovered about people in Mississippi. They don't understand how, like your job, you answer to the board. You don't answer, it's not a, you don't answer to the legislature, to the governor per se. You answer directly to your board. I think a lot of folks don't realize that that's how it's structured. Yeah, I think that's a very good point because um, I don't. And, um, you know, when I was hired, to be very honest with you, um, that point was uh, was made very clear to me uh, by the board that hired me in 2013 that, that, that I work directly for them. And that's not to say that there's not a collaborative effort um, between the governor, the lieutenant governor, sure. the speaker, and the ed chairs. It has to be collaborative. Um, but there are also times that, you know, we're going to agree to disagree, and that's okay. Um because I, I, we can't always be in agreement, but we can agree to disagree agreeably. And I think that is where, that's why the respect I have for the governor and uh, my ed chairs, because even when we don't agree, it's in a professional disagreement and it doesn't become personal and it can't become personal. Uh, and that I've really appreciated. In the last couple minutes, what advice would you give to any teachers that, that happen to stumble upon the show and are listening uh, to basically for the future and what they need to be doing? Well, number one, I want to say thank you, um, because uh, you can never thank a teacher enough. And um, having been a teacher, um, you know, I, I once a teacher, always a teacher, and that, that's in my heart always. I think that the best that they can do is to always stay um, at the top of their game, and that means a continual learning. Um, I would attend as many different professional development you know, pieces as you can. You can always get better at your craft. Um, that's the reason I attend national conferences. That's the reason that I'm very selective about those conferences that I attend because I want to feel like I can walk away feeling that I'm better off having been there. And so I, that would be what I would recommend and always keep children at the heart of everything you do. This job is not about the adults. This job is about the children. And we've got to stay focused on what's in their best interest. And however we can do that and however we can, as a teacher, that I could do that to meet my students' needs, and each year it's going to change because you get a different group, um, then you just need to keep keep your eye on your own skill sets and, and how can you be the best that you can possibly be. Well, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for your service to Mississippi, and I wish you the best of luck in your future. Oh, thanks, Marshall. I really appreciate it. And thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk. I appreciate that. Uh, it was a great conversation. We want to thank you for listening and thank our guest, Dr. Carrie Wright, for joining us today. And if you'd like to hear the show again or any past episodes, you can listen to our podcast on your favorite podcast app or on our MPB public media app. Now You're Talking is a production of MPB Think Radio. It was produced by the talented, incredible Jay white hey stay tuned for southern remedy healthy and fit with josie bidwell and join us next week at 10 a.m for another great conversation here on mpb think radio
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. 